1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. As I am taught the Word of God, my life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen may be seated. And as you're being seated, if you would, turn in your Bibles over, turn in your Bibles over to Mark chapter 14. It's the main passage we're going to be in today. And our two launching verses in this series have been Matthew 6, 21 and Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And so as we've learned in this series on the truth about money, how we handle money, how we handle our finances, it reveals our heart, and it reveals our priorities. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? The things that people in the world, people that don't know the Lord, they spend all their lives, their time, their focus trying to chase, trying to acquire by any means, all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, who uses? I do, you do. With the measure I use, the measure you use, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in your life, in your home, your family, your finances, in your life, you are the farmer. You determine the measure you use. You determine the measure you operate with, and you determine your harvest. You determine your level of generosity, and then because of your level of generosity, you determine over time your level of blessing. In Luke 6.38, Jesus tells us that when we give, it will be given back unto us. That is a fact. When we give, it will be given back unto us. And how will it be given back unto us? A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will God cause men and women to give unto our lives? Will it be poured into our lap? For with the measure we use, it will be measured back unto us. That's plenty. That's more than enough. That's multiplication. That's what our Heavenly Father does. Amen? When He blesses us, it is never a disappointment. 
It's never a disappointment. And you may have received something before, opened something that was a disappointment, amen. But our Heavenly Father, He is generous. And when we give, it's given back unto us, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's a fact. So God will give to us. And men and women, whether they know it or not, they will be inspired of God to be generous with us. In Acts 20, in verse 35, the Apostle Paul quotes an interesting statement of Jesus about giving. We don't see this statement in the Gospels, but Paul quotes it in the book of Acts. What did Jesus mean when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive? It is more blessed to give than to receive. This statement seems so contrary to real life. But if you're a parent, I think we can understand it as parents, especially just celebrated Christmas, when you are a blessing to your children and they, they open something and, and they're so excited, they're, they're so joyful, I think as parents we can understand that it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, Julia is three and there were some presents she, she opened on Christmas Day. She just squealed with delight. It was, it was precious. It, it wasn't anything costly or super expensive. It was just the desire of her heart as a three-year-old, but she, she squealed with delight. It is truly more blessed to give than to receive, but we can forget that. And in a lot of the lives of many people, that statement seems so contrary to their everyday life. Jesus was telling us that it's more productive to give than to receive. It's more productive to give than to receive. What we receive is not multiplied. Only what we give is multiplied. What we receive is not multiplied. Only what we give is multiplied. People who live small and need-based lives focus often only on their own needs. Their focus is themselves, their wants, their needs, their desires. And their attitude is, if you interact with them, their attitude is they never have enough they never have enough to give. They never have enough to be generous. They, they never have enough to do anything for anyone else. They have what I would call a not enough mentality. And because of that, their only focus is receiving and what other people are doing for them. You know, I try not to tell stories, but, you know, stories help illustrate it. You know, one side of the family doesn't do family gatherings anymore because this family member would go out of her way and do family gatherings and prepare a wonderful meal, and then relatives would come over and not be, not be thankful. I remember being at one of these family gatherings and whatever had been made Italian or whatever it was, it was all wonderful, plentiful, more than enough. But a stingy relative came over, bad attitude, and then groused and complained that the meal wasn't steak and lobster. Well, if you want steak and lobster, the easy solution is to get in your car and go where they serve steak and lobster, amen? And so we've all dealt with that and people that have that attitude and their mentality. Their focus is them, their wants, their needs, their desires. Their focus is on them receiving. But because they aren't generous, because they aren't a blessing, they rarely receive. But when they do receive to them, it's always a big deal. As rare as it is 
their only joy is in receiving. But there is a greater joy. There is a greater happiness and blessing. People who live this way don't know the joy of giving. And they don't know the joy of generosity. And they don't know the joy of being a blessing. And sadly, far too many live this way. Even in the body of Christ, far too many live this way. For many, their life experience would seem to be the opposite of what Jesus said. For many, it would seem to be more blessed to receive than to give. But Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why don't we say that? Say, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if we have our right hearts and right attitudes, we'd realize that what Jesus said is true. We give, and it's given back unto us. And if we would be a blessing and be, and be generous, generous with God, generous with our family, generous with others, if you're, you're a boss or employer, generous with your company, generous with your employees, if you would give, it would be given back unto you. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus was telling us it's more productive, and it's more productive long-term to give than to receive. There is great joy in giving. The giver is always more happy than the receiver. The generous man, the generous woman is always more happy than the receiver. And it is far more productive to give than to receive. Because when we receive, that is the end of it. But when we give, that is just the beginning. And the harvest is always greater than what has been given. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he lived a lifestyle of giving and generosity. And we should too. Why is giving necessary? Well, without seed time, there's no harvest. Without sowing, there's no reaping. If a farmer doesn't plant, he'll have no harvest. And as we've learned, every seed produces after its own kind, and the harvest, it's always greater than the seed. When the farmer plants the seed, whatever it is, it is multiplied back to him. And the, har the harvest, it's far greater than what was planted. So why is giving necessary? God can only bless or multiply what we plant, what we give, or sow. God can only multiply the action, the right actions that we take. And the world is filled with takers, not givers. And there are too many believers, and they're, they're takers. They're focused on receiving only, and they're not givers. And so we've got a purpose in our heart, to have right hearts, to have right attitudes, and to be givers, not takers. Say, I'm a giver. Say, I'm a giver. I'm not a taker. Say it again. Say, I'm a giver. I'm not a taker. So see, the world, what the world does is it takes, it takes, it takes, it takes, it takes. But that's not who we should be as the children of God. That's not who we should be as the body of Christ. We, we ought to leave blessings behind everywhere we can go. We ought to be a blessing and not a burden. Now, why do some believers get upset when they find out what the Bible says about finances or generosity? Well, the Apostle Paul gave us the answer, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, but the natural man receiveth not. Say, receiveth not. See, that, that, that special holiday dinner I mentioned, the wonderful spread Italian, whatever it was, well, somebody had a bad attitude because it wasn't steak and lobster. Well, they, they receiveth not the blessings that were there for them to enjoy. The natural man, 
The carnal man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can, they, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned by who? By a man or woman who has been saved, genuinely born again. So they get upset because they either don't know the Lord, they're an unsaved man or woman, or they get upset because they've made no effort to train their spirit, their born-again spirit, to hear, to believe, to confess, and to take action on the Word. So even though they might be a believer, they deny what the Word of God says on prosperity or on healing or on protection or whatever it is. And our Heavenly Father, He believes in free will. And He'll let you live at whatever level you want to live at. And so if you're of the mindset, well, he heals, but he doesn't bless, that's the level you're going to live at. If you're of the mindset that, that he heals occasionally, but not all the time, that's the level you're going to live at. If you're of the mindset that God could protect his children in Egypt, and God could protect his children in the book of Acts, but God can't protect his children in 2020, that's the level you're going to live at. He will let you live at whatever level you have faith at. Jesus said, Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith. Whose faith? Your faith in your life and your heart. According to your faith will it be done unto you. So they receiveth not. They deny what the word of God says about healing, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about prosperity or the blessing of the Lord. They deny the word. They receiveth it not. They receiveth not. And then they don't take action on the word of God. As James says, they're deceived. They may hear the word, but because they receiveth it not, they don't do the word. As Jesus told the religious leaders in his day, they have no room for his word. They receiveth not and don't believe what the word of God says. And instead of believing what God says, then they buy into the lies of Satan. And one of his lies is what pastor calls the money myth. And there's a section on this in his workbook, The Successful Lifestyle Pattern, The Money Myth. They, they reject what God says in his word about prosperity, walking in the blessing of the Lord, and so they buy into the lies of the world, the lies of Satan, and one of them is the money myth. Let's look at Mark 14, beginning in verse 3. Mark 14, beginning in verse 3. While Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly, angrily to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. So they were not kind. They were not gracious they had unkind, critical, harsh, mean things to say. Verse 6, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me or for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. 
And I would mark that in your Bible. They promised to give him what? What was he after? What was his focus? What was his driving motivation? What was he consumed by? So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. John, John's gospel is so sobering. They have the Last Supper, and then John specifically tells us that Satan himself entered into Judas and possessed him to betray Christ. It is a serious, horrific thing. But notice here in Mark, Mark's gospel, Mark 14, notice what it was really about. It was about money. In Mark 14, we can see the money myth. This perfume was an expensive perfume, worth a year's wages, perhaps a little more. Some, including Judas, they were indignant. They were angry. They were upset about the quote-unquote waste of money. But Jesus told him, he said, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, don't be a blessing to the poor. His point was they could be a blessing to the poor at any time. You know, every week the church sends out checks to be a blessing to ministries whose focus is being a blessing to the poor and to evangelism. They, they go out automatically every single week. A few months ago when my father spoke to evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth will be here in a few weeks, January 11th through 13th. Tiff told my father, he said, Pastor, he said, I, I know one reason why you were able to pay off the building in 2020. And he told my father that this year that many of their donors, supporters, churches that support them had either cut back or cut off their giving. But he, he told my father, Faith Christian Center hadn't paused, hadn't cut anything back. We just kept sending what we send every single week. And he told my father, that's one reason, that's one of the reasons why Faith Christian Center was paid off in 2020 in the midst of all that is going on in the world. So we believe, amen, in being a blessing to those in need and helping those in need. And especially in a lot of the outreaches, we put an emphasis on being a blessing to children, amen? Children in need, because they, they could be in a situation that has, it's not their fault. They ought to eat. They ought to have something to open on Christmas. So we believe in being a blessing. So Jesus wasn't saying don't be a blessing to the poor. His point was they could do that at any time, but only once in all of human history could he be anointed before his burial. And it was this precious woman who obeyed God and gave and anointed Jesus with this costly, expensive perfume worth a year's wages. And consider this, if that perfume had been sold and the money given to the poor, that would have not done any good long-term, and Jesus then would not have been anointed before his burial. The money myth is revealed in verses 10 and 11. Look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And when did he do this? He, he did this when envy and jealousy manifested in his heart. He went to betray Jesus. Verse 11, they were delighted to hear this. See, that they had been looking for a way to get rid of Jesus, to have him killed, because they were jealous of him. You read the Gospels. They, they were jealous of the crowds of people that came to Jesus and came to hear Jesus and came because they, they desired to be healed in their bodies or set free, whatever it was. The religious leaders, they were jealous. They were envious. 
So verse 11, they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So again, what did Judas do this for? Money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. So in envy and jealousy, Judas betrayed Jesus. And it was about money. His betrayal was about money. He was indignant and angry over this woman giving a gift worth a year's wages. So he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price for a slave. You go to the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver was the price for a slave. And that's what Judas sold out Jesus for, 30 pieces of silver. And in those days, it would have had a value of about four months' wages, which was a third of the woman's gift. So he was jealous. He was envious over her gift. And he he sold out Jesus. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And in today's money, today's economy, the value would just be a few hundred dollars. You, You couldn't even go and buy the cheapest newest iPhone with what Judas betrayed Jesus for. But see, when someone's not right and their heart is not right and their heart is not right on money, money is their God and they'll do anything for it. They'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll steal, they'll betray. Some of these stories are coming out about people borrowing government money for fake companies. They'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll they'll do whatever for what? Money. But see, there's coming a day and everything in darkness will be brought into light. And that day could be sooner than anyone anyone thinks. Later, after Jesus' arrest, Judas tried to return the money. So it's interesting. Satan possessed him to betray Jesus. See, Satan, he'll lose you, and then he'll leave you. And he'll leave you dealing with the consequences. Judas tried to return the money, but the religious leaders called it blood money. Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The religious leaders then used the blood money to buy a potter's field to bury foreigners. So he betrayed Jesus for money. He sold Jesus out for money and much less money than the value of the woman's gift. And this reveals the money myth. When there are people and they complain about a church or ministry having money or ability, and they say, well, that money could have been used for this, that money could have been used for that, such complaints are rooted in greed and envy and in jealousy. And if you could ask to see their accounts or their tax return or ask their husband or wife or children or their employees, you would learn that they're not generous. They're they're not a doer of the word of God. And they might even be like Judas. They might even be a thief. Growing up, my father taught me that if you don't understand something, it's often about the money. You might wonder, well, why why doesn't someone do this or that for their children? It's about the money. I remember being a young man, teenager, in the youth group, and being so grieved over the things that would happen to young people and teenagers and young adults. 
the behavior of parents. I remember a young girl in the youth group. She had just turned 17 or 18, whatever it was. And so she had her birthday. Her parents took her, got her an apartment, paid for one month of the rent, and that was it. She was on her own. See, that, that may be the kind of thing that goes on in the world, but that is not godly. That is not generous. That is not Christian. And if you were to say, well, Austin, why would someone do that? Why would someone treat their own son or their own daughter that way? It's about, and it's amazing to me because, you know, teenage girls, they're, they're trying to look thin and watch what they eat, amen? So how much money are you really saving? So somebody that thinks that way and operates that way and acts that way, even though their, their primary focus is more for them, they never have enough. They never walk in the blessing of the Lord. It's about the money. Why would our government take away our rights and liberties for a virus that has a survival rate greater than 99%? If you don't understand it, it's about what? The money. Why would a politician sell out our country? It's about the money. And I could go on, but I won't. Amen. Amen. Lester Sumrall once told my father that if a man or woman's not right with their money, then they're not right. Their heart is not right. And that if the kingdom of God doesn't have a man or woman's money, their treasure, then they don't. The kingdom of God doesn't have their heart. Money and how we handle money and how we use money reveals our heart and our priorities. Sometimes for an election, Tax returns by politicians will get released. And it's always amazing to me. You have a politician and they, they say that the citizens should be taxed more and more of our money should go to this and more of our money should go to that. But their tax return gets released and you find out that they gave less than 1% to charitable giving. See, it reveals what? Their heart, their priorities. They want to use your money for this or that, but they themselves are not generous. That's why if you're young people, you're dating, you got to find out if somebody is generous. You got to find out if somebody is a giver, if they are a blessing. Money reveals our heart and our priorities. So you got to get your heart right on the issue of money. And if your heart isn't right when it comes to money and how you handle finances, then your heart is not right. When people complain about a church or ministry having money or ability, what is the real motive? John gives us insight in John 12, beginning in verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later, later to betray Jesus, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Well, here's the insight. Verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So notice, and this is a side note, but notice Jesus had a treasure. They had a money bag, and you don't need a treasure or a money bag if you don't have any money. I pointed out a few weeks ago that when Jesus fed the large crowd, he told the disciples to go and buy them something to eat. Well, thousands of men plus women and children, that's a lot of money, amen? You know, even if it were Chick-fil-A, that, that's a lot of money. But he told his disciples, you go and buy them something to eat. So Judas was a thief. And the critics, the faith critics, they're always hypocrites too. So why did Judas protest this waste? Because he was a thief. He didn't care about the poor. 
He didn't care about blessing those in need. He was a thief. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So he didn't care about the poor. He wanted that woman's money to go into the money bag so he could get his greedy little hands on it so he could help himself to it. But look at what Jesus says, verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So the money or the gift, it was not wasted. It was saved. In giving, it was saved. See, when we receive, that, that's the end of it. But when we give, that, that is just the beginning. When we give, it will be given back unto us. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen. But what you try and hang on to, you won't keep. That's why Jesus said, what, what good is it for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? There are going to be a lot of famous people in hell. Be a lot of politicians in hell. And they'll stand before Father God at the great white throne judgment. And on that day, the amount of money in their bank account won't matter. What they had won't matter. What their position in this world was, it will not matter. What good is it for a man or a woman if they, they gain the whole world yet forfeit their very soul? And it, I understand it is an irony of the word of God. See, it would, you would seem to think, natural human thinking, that if I hang on, I'll have more. But when someone lives a life where they're trying to hang on to everything, somehow it never increases, it never multiplies, they're miserable, they're unhappy. But if you live a life of blessing, you live a life of generosity, over time you have more, over time God bless you, and you have joy, you have happiness, your family loves you, amen. Your children love you. They're glad to be around you. It is an interesting thing in the word of God. That's why Jesus said in one of the parables, whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away, but whoever has, they will be given more. So the money or gift wasn't wasted. It was saved. In giving, it was saved. To, be, to live a blessed life, to live a blessed life, don't be ashamed of our Heavenly Father. Don't be ashamed of His blessings. Remember Genesis 26. It was a time of famine, yet God blessed Isaac and made him rich during a time of famine. But the Bible also says the Philistines, the people around him, they envied him, and they tried to cause him trouble too. Don't be ashamed of God's blessings. In 2020 and in 2021, don't let someone shame you for coming to church. Don't let someone shame you for coming to church in person. By your action, you demonstrate you believe gathering together for worship is essential. So is it any wonder you're blessed? Amen. Is it any wonder you have a good report at the end of 2020? And you're going to have a good report in 2021. Is it any wonder you are so blessed? Don't let someone shame you for truly living the Christian life and being a doer of the Word of God. Don't let someone shame you for living a righteous life in a wicked world. Don't let someone shame you for walking in the blessing of the Lord because you handle money and the things of this world righteously. Don't let 
someone shame you because of your, your husband or wife or children. When you do things God's way and you're blessed, don't be ashamed of it. You know, this past week, someone was telling me about a young person and they, they chose to, to marry someone not of like mind, not of like faith. Well, that, that poor young man, he's been on lockdown all year. Well, praise the Lord, my wife lets me go to the store in person, do whatever I'm going to do in person. Amen. She lets me come to church. Amen. Well, I'm not going to feel bad that I married Jessica Lingerfeld, so I'm walking in the blessing of the Lord. When you do what's right and you walk in the blessing of the Lord, don't make people living for themselves make you feel bad. Don't let them shame you because of your husband or your wife or your children or your family. Don't let someone shame you because of the blessings of God. Don't let someone shame you because of your, your church or your pastors. The critics are always hypocrites. And if you had access, you know, if you worked for the CIA or whoever and somehow had access to see the bank accounts or to see the tax return or whatever it is, you would find out that they themselves are not a generous person. We're living in the days of Malachi 3.18. You will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked Amen. and between those who serve God and those who are not. It's not just a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. It's a distinction between those who serve God and those who do not. In Mark 10 and verse 28, Peter said to Jesus, said, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions. So there's the blessing, but with the blessing comes persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. See, those that put themselves first, they're always last, 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 last. But if you'll serve, James and John, they, they said, Lord, we want to sit at your right and left. He said, you don't know what you asked for. Can you bear the cup that I bear? And then at the Last Supper, he taught them the great lesson that in the kingdom of God, you rise by serving one another. Those who put themselves first, Last, last, last. But those who are last, they will be first. Many who are first will be last and the last first. See, that's not the world, that's the kingdom of God. The blessing comes, but so does the persecution. Prosperity has its enemies, success has its enemies, but if you live a life where you handle things God's way, you're gonna be blessed. And there's gonna be some criticism, there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some envy. There's going to be some jealousy. So that's why you've got to guard yourself and guard your family, not put everything on Facebook. Amen. Go to the Old Testament, believe 2 Kings. Read about a king whose name was Hezekiah. The Lord was displeased. Hezekiah was told that he was going to die. He turned his face to the Lord, pleading for mercy. God gave him 15 more years. And, but despite the grace, despite the mercy of God, he then did something very foolish. Babylon sent an envoy. And Hezekiah showed the Babylonians 
all their assets, all their gold, all their silver, all their treasures. So when Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before the swine, there is great wisdom in that. We walk in his blessing. We're thankful for it. Amen. But we also don't have to tell everyone everything we're believing for, what our faith goals are, and all of God's blessings. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more productive to give than to receive. What we receive, it's not multiplied. But what we give, it is multiplied. Only what we give is multiplied. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.